Um, all right, today we are going to continue in our series. And I just want to say one thing before we get into the message today. Um, I want to kind of clarify something that Tim said earlier. So Tim got up here. He didn't say anything wrong. Uh, but Tim got up here and he said, he said, we're not passing the buckets just yet. I'm going to just give you a heads up. We'll probably never pass the buckets again. All right. You don't understand the backside of church. So like if you've ever been in leadership in church, there is a, there's a backside, right? A, a, a backstage. We don't have a backstage, but you get what I'm saying. And listen, passing buckets around the room to take up offering was absolutely one of the worst parts of trying to organize church. Because, so yeah, Beverly's like, amen, she had to help me do it. So we would have people passing out buckets. And some of you, and, and you're thinking right now, he's not talking about me. Yeah, I am. And, and we'd be passing out buckets, and you're not paying attention. You're not looking. And all of a sudden, the buckets are going, and one guy's just standing there with the bucket, right? Or you got people passing the wrong buckets, and they're putting, putting money in, and they're getting three or four buckets at a time. So we just said, you know what? Thank God COVID didn't do a lot of good things for us, but it did help us to get past those stupid buckets. So if you need a bucket, we probably have one here. You're more than welcome to take it home with you. Um, if for whatever reason you just like buckets at your house, maybe you guys doing uh, church at home, you just put your offering in a bucket at home. Um, that won't really help us, but you can do it. You can do it. All right. Today we're going to get started. We are doing a series um, called He Was, and it's based out of Isaiah chapter 53. And we've just been going through that chapter. Today we're going to finish up that chapter. Next week is Easter, and so next week we are going to get past what he was and get into what he is, right? He is risen, and so we'll talk about having a new life next week, but today we're going to stay with what he was, and, um, and, and I'm going to do something a little bit different today. So if you guys, I feel, am I, I'm, I'm real hot in, in my mic, I don't know if I'm hot out there, but um, if you guys don't know, <laughs> uh, I'm hot, but um, if you guys don't know, um, on, on this, so, so the way we do this, the way I, I do my messages, a lot of times I may have my message already done and I get here on Sunday morning and then every so often some things get tweaked. And so today, one of the tweaks we're making in your notes, you've got one, two, three, four. We are definitely not going to follow that pattern. So today we're going to go two, three, four, one. All right, I'm saving. I just switched all my notes around and I hope Kim can follow me in the back, but I moved some stuff around today. So we'll see how it goes. But, but today we're talking about uh, the, the title of the message today is he was a lamb to be slaughtered. He was a lamb to be slaughtered, and, and we'll get into that in just a second. But the first thing I want to I want to kind of give you a little background on why we're doing this message today in particular. One of the things I've noticed um, just just in my time of talking to people and asking questions, and we've got a we've got a message series coming up. Uh, I want to do in May that's just all about questions. And and Bobby kind of spurred me on some of this stuff. Bobby's small group is all about questions. What questions do you have? Let's try to answer them. And so. I'll be getting with him and my dad who knows more about, he's forgotten more about the Bible than, than Bobby and I would ever know combined. And so, um, so I'm going to be getting with these guys. And what I want to do is I want to hear some of your questions. So if you want to email us or, or uh, direct messages on Facebook or whatever, um, give us some of your questions that you have about the Bible. And there's no dumb questions. There's no dumb questions. There's dumb people that ask questions, but there's no dumb questions at all. All questions are good. And now we're going to, we want to try to go through some of these questions, and, and we're not going to hit all of them. We're going to hit a lot of them. We're not going to hit all of them, but we want to hear what you've got to say. And, and so one of the things I've noticed is we say a lot of stuff in church, with, and we give no explanation for it. And so we'll tell you things, and we'll hear us say things about being covered by the blood, right? 
Like you hear the term covered by the blood in church, but if you were to walk in off the street and you hear someone say, we are covered by the blood, like right off the bat, you're like, this is a cult and no one's putting blood on me. I'm leaving, right? Like this is weird. And so what we've done as a church is we've either A, never explained what we mean by some of the things we say in the Bible, or B, we absolutely avoid them. So we're like, we're never talking about the blood in church because it's weird and I don't want people to feel weird. But at the end of the day, the Bible is a very uncomfortable book. There's not a whole lot in the Bible that, that makes me feel comfortable because the Bible reveals some things about myself that I don't always like. And so I need a little bit of discomfort in my life. And so today what I want to do, we talk about Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins, that he died on the cross. But we don't know why he died on the cross. We don't understand what does it mean to be a sacrifice for my sins. Like what difference does that make? And so today I want to get into him being the lamb and what that means. And so to get us started, one of the first things you've got to understand is you've got to understand that in the Old Testament of the Bible, that sin required death. Like if you were going to sin and get forgiven, something had to die before you can get forgiven. Hebrews 9.22 says this, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So the first thing you need to understand today is for you and I to be saved, for you and I to be forgiven of our sins, something has to die. So you got to get that in your head today. Get that in your heart today. As a matter of fact, the very first sin in the Bible resulted in an animal dying. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3.21, it says the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. In other words, in order for Adam and Eve's shame to be covered, something had to die. It was the first death in the Bible. And the death was the result of Adam and Eve's sin. So sin results in death. Forgiveness requires death. Something's got to die in order for us to be forgiven. So let's look at Isaiah 53. We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to go all the way down to the end, verse 12. And here's what it says. It says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. These are all prophecies about Jesus that all came true. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Nobody wants to hear that part, right? Like no one wants to hear that it was God's good plan to crush him. Sometimes the problem, this is not in the notes, but sometimes the problem that we're going through, the crushing that we feel, might be part of God's plan to get you somewhere that you need to be. So sometimes we might, not, we, we might need to understand that not every plan, not every good plan is comfortable and fun. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Last week we talked about sin. 
And we said that we've all sinned, right? We've all sinned. We talked about, we talked about transgressions or rebellion, and we talked about iniquities, things that are deep inside, right? We talked about how uh, the, the Bible says uh, that no coward will enter the kingdom of heaven. What's a coward? A coward is somebody that's led or, 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 or follows fear, not God. So it's, it's fear is a transgression. Fear is a rebellion. When I, when I am afraid, that's not something I'm supposed to do because the Bible says I should trust in God, I shouldn't fear. But whenever I allow fear to become a part of who I am and it becomes deeper than just an outside sin, it becomes an iniquity and, and that becomes something that leads me to being a coward. Right? We talked about that. We talked about, we talked about all kinds of different sins, sexual sins. Uh, we even talked about food. We talked about eating sins. Remember we said that no one ever talks about eating in church? And I said that if I ever have Doritos in my house, that I'll eat the whole bag. And then my wife went out and thinking she was funny, she bought a bag of Doritos and brought it in my home. You know what I did to show her? I ate every one of them. Every one of them. And then I wonder why I don't do well at the gyms, because I'm eating Doritos at the house. And then my wife bought ice cream, because she knows I love ice cream. But she said I bought ice cream with peanut butter in it, because I know you don't like ice cream with peanut butter in it. And I said, that's really good. And so I went to the store and I bought strawberry ice cream and ate every bit of it. All of it. I ate it all. And so I have a lot of repenting to do this week. Gluttony. We make a joke about it, but at the end of the day, it is a sin. Like, you can't be joking about sin. It's for real. It's for real. Um, Thanks, Perry. I called her Eve last week. And that's what she is. She's my Eve. She's my Eve. She leads me. I would be a perfect person. I would already be done with this message if you hadn't interrupted with your story about buying me Doritos. All right, so let's get back into the Word. Okay, so I want to go through that Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 gives us some different aspects of Jesus' death that we want to talk about. Now, remember, I'm skipping the first one. I'll, I'll catch it up at the end, okay? So in your notes, just understand I'm skipping the first one. We're going to move on to number two. And, and, and so here's the second aspect, right? We're already at number two. You're way ahead of the game. The second aspect of his death, in verse 10, it says, Yet when his life is made an offering for sin. I want to talk about that word for a second, the word offering. The word offering there is talking about a sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, um, or in the Bible, the Jews had what they called daily sacrifices. Every morning at 9 a.m. and then every afternoon at 3 p.m., they had sacrifices. They would kill animals. They, they said that the temple was like a slaughterhouse. Like they had, they had animals dying twice a day as an offering for the people's sins. So whenever you sin, uh, the, they, would, they would make these offerings. Why? Because every sin requires what? Death. So they would kill animals as a, as a sacrifice, as an offering for their sin. I think it's interesting that the daily sacrifice was 9 and 3. And Jesus was put on the cross at 9 a.m. and he died at 3. Isn't that interesting? I think it is. Why? Because he is the daily sacrifice. He is the offering for our sins. But here's the cool thing, is that he's a daily sacrifice. He's not a one-time sacrifice. Sometimes we think my faith is based on something I did, a decision I made at 12 years old. No, your faith, your salvation is based on a decision you make every morning when you wake up. 
The Bible says, Jesus speaking in, in Luke 9, 23, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, my salvation is not based on a one-time decision. It's based on a daily sacrifice. He is the daily sacrifice. When I wake up, and does that mean, Gabriel, that every night i got to get saved all over again? No, I'm not saying you're getting saved all over again. I'm saying I reaffirm my salvation, my faith every day. I don't get married to Perry on one day, however many years ago it was, right? I honestly can't even tell you what the day is. Do you know? You don't know either. Good. So we're good. We're golden. So a certain number of years ago, on a certain day, we got married, whatever that was. If my mother-in-law is watching, I'm sure she'll be texting me here in a minute to let me know, right? Like, so at that point, I can't say, okay, now we're married, and now I can just go live my life however I want to live my life and do whatever I want to do and forget you. We're always married and we'll always be married. It doesn't matter if I sleep around. It doesn't matter if I spend all of our money. It doesn't matter if I neglect you and abuse you and walk away from you. It doesn't matter because we were married and we'll always be married. That's not how relationships work. Relationships work that every day I wake up and I tell her that she's beautiful. Every day I wake up and I tell her that I love her. Why? I reaffirm that covenant that we have every day. The same in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a daily sacrifice. He says, take up your cross daily and walk with me. Follow me. The next one, the second one, or in your notes, the third one. I'm going to get confused. So here's what it is. He was the covenant in blood. He was the covenant in blood. In Psalm 50, verses 4 and 5, the psalmist here is prophesying what's going to happen at the end. And here's what he says. It says, talking about God, He calls on heavens above and earth below to witness the judgment of His people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Jesus is the sacrificial the sacrifice of covenant, right? Here's, the sacrifice. Here's what it says. In verse 11 of Isaiah 53, verse 11, it says, When he sees all that he's accomplished by his anguish, he'll be satisfied. Here's the key point. And because of his experience, my righteous service servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. He will bear all their sins. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words... I'm the one that creates the covenant between God and man. I'm the sacrifice. In the Bible, when they made covenants, if you made a covenant with God or you made a covenant with someone else, oftentimes there would be a sacrifice. There would be something that would have to die in order for that covenant to happen. What's a covenant? I know right now you're looking at me like, wait, what's a covenant? You're going too fast. So a covenant is an agreement between two people. But to me, it's deeper than a, than a um, contract. Every time I do a wedding, I perform a wedding, um, a lot of times I will tell them that we're entering into a marriage covenant, not a contract. Because contracts have loopholes, right? Contracts have escape clauses. But covenants don't have loopholes or escape clauses. In a covenant, and especially a covenant of blood, it's a promise between two parties. That as long as you fulfill your end, I'm fulfilling my end, we're going to stay in this covenant forever, right? Right? And so here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 15. 
we see a covenant here, and it's, it's Abraham and God. And here's what it says. Then the Lord told him, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. When Jesus died, he was three years into ministry. I'm not into numbers, but I think that's really neat. Again, we've hit two numbers, so I guess I am into numbers. Verse 10. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, laid the halves side by side. Um, However, he did not cut the birds in half. And then verse 11, it says, Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham or Abram chased them away. Here's the thing I want you to notice in this verse is there was a covenant between God and man and something had to die in order for that covenant to be established. There had to be the shedding of blood in order for the covenant to be established. And for us to have a covenant with God, there has to be the shedding of blood. Jesus had to die. So not only is he the daily sacrifice that I follow every single day, but he's also the one that is the way between me and God. It's because of his experience of death that now I can be counted righteous. Beforehand, I couldn't be counted righteous had I not entered into a covenant with God. He's the death that seals the covenant. When you get married, we say that the rings seal the covenant. We say the kiss seals the covenant. We say uh, the, the, the honeymoon night seals the covenant, right? Like we've got these different things that seal the covenant. In my relationship with God, it is the death, the sacrifice that seals the covenant between God and man. But here's the cool part about that. A little practical note. It says that, that Abraham was fighting off buzzards that kept trying to get the meat. And here's what hit me the other day when I was studying. I thought, how often does the enemy try to come and disrupt our covenant? How often does the enemy try to get in and disrupt our covenant? How often does he try to get into your marriage? How often does he try to get into your work life? How often does he try to get into your personal life? So much more, he tries to get into our spiritual life and disrupt our covenant. But what did Abram do? Abram fought off the vultures. What do I need to do? I need to fight off anything that tries to keep me from having covenant with God. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what do I do, Peter? He says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Peter says, everybody gets attacked by the enemy. But he says, you got to stand firm against it. And we talked last week of how do we stand firm against it. We talked about how to overcome sin. So if you missed that portion, go back and and check out last week's message so you can understand what Peter's talking about, how to stand firm against the enemy that tries to tempt us or draw us outside of that covenant. The third one, or for you it's the fourth one. He was counted as a rebel. He was counted as a rebel. Now, I know the word counted there doesn't make a lot of sense. But verse 12 says, He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sin of many and interceded for rebels. To to be counted as means that I am now a part of. Right? I am now a part of. Have, Have you ever had somebody that is the unofficial, like, 
You see some of the, this is the unofficial mascot. Like you see these football teams sometimes, and they've got one, um, one of the players' kids, right, is out there, and he's got on the uniform, and he's unofficially part of the team, right? He's counted as part of the team. Even though he's not necessarily part of the team, they count him in as part of the team. Or, or you'll see these, these teams, and they'll, they'll, they'll bring in a, a guy that's, that maybe has some, some issues going on, and, and they'll bring him in, and they'll let him run a play, and he's part of the team, even though he's not part of the team. Does that make sense? That's what it means to be counted. It means, it means for Jesus, he was not a rebel, but he got counted in with the rebels. He was not a sinner, but he got put in to the lot of sinners by his own choice. So here's what it means for us. It, 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 means, um, it, it represents this story in Genesis chapter 22. You'll understand it better here. In Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says that God told Abraham, listen, you've got your one and only son, your son of promise, your your best kid. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that kid up on a mountain and I want you to kill him. I want you to kill your son as a sacrifice of worship to me. Now, right off the bat, most of us would be like, that's it, I'm out. You know, hard pass. No, sir. But Abraham was like, yeah, man, let's do it. And so Abraham, I'm wondering now, as I'm saying that, I'm wondering if, if Isaac, like the day before, had been kind of a smart aleck. You know what I mean? Abraham was like, oh, well, guess what? Guess what God just said? You know, I'm going to kill you on a mountain. And so anyway, so Abraham takes Isaac. That's, that's not, none of that's biblical. Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain. Now, listen, here's another interesting little tidbit for you. Most of the time when we see the little drawings in our Sunday school, you know, little kids Bible or whatever, Isaac is like a little kid, but in reality, Isaac was probably the same age as Jesus whenever Jesus was crucified. He was probably in his 30s. So Abraham's not like picking this kid up and laying him on the altar, right? Isaac's having to put himself on the altar. Just like Jesus, right, went to the cross voluntarily. Isaac had to put himself on the altar. Think about that. And so Isaac gets on the altar, and Abraham's going to kill Isaac. Now, I know the end of the story. I know that God wasn't going to allow Abraham to kill Isaac. I get that. Abraham didn't know it. Isaac sure didn't know it. And so, so Abraham holds the knife up, and Abraham's about to kill him. And here's what God says in Genesis twenty-two twelve. 12. It says, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. But this is the key part right here. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place uh, Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use that as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Can I tell you something today? He was counted among us means that he became a substitute for us. Jesus isn't Isaac, Jesus is the ram. We're Isaac. We're the ones that are supposed to die. We're the ones that are supposed to be on that altar. We're the ones that deserve death. But it was the ram caught in the bushes that ends up dying. It was Jesus that took our spot. He said, look, I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong. But I know Gabriel Wright is going to be jacked up. And I know he's going to need a savior. I know someone's got to die for his sins. And I'm not going to let him die. I'm going to be the one to die for him. So he put himself on the cross. He allowed himself to be murdered, to be slaughtered, to be crucified. Why? Because he was counted among us. He said, I'm not a sinner, but I'll get in there amongst them, right? 
I'm not a sinner, but I'll join the team. I'm not a sinner, but I'll take the punishment that they all deserved. I'll be the substitute for everybody else. John 15, 13 says this, There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Can I tell you something today? He is still Jehovah Jireh. He is still the one that provides for you. And we want to say he provides my finances or he provides my living or he provides me a house. A lot of prosperity preachers use this verse. They use this name to talk about him giving you money. Can I tell you something more important than money and houses and things is your salvation. And he provides a substitute for me and you that when you and I sin and we mess up and we do every day, he provides a substitute to get on the cross for us so that we don't have to. He is counted among us. But now to the last one, and the most important one, which is your first one on your paper. He was a lamb to be slaughtered. Verse 7 says this, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. When Jesus died, he died at Passover. And Passover is famous for the Passover lamb. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want, to, I want to show you one thing. When we talk about the word lamb, we think of cute and fuzzy and, you know. Every year at Easter, we show these little pictures of lambs. If we were to be biblically accurate, no children would like Easter. First of all, peeps are not in the Bible, Andrew. They will be in hell, but they're not in the Bible. First of all, here's the thing. You've got to understand something. When they talk about the lamb, they talk about a lamb that has been killed. All that nice, fuzzy white fur is covered and soaked in red blood. When they talk about the lamb, they're not talking about a cute little baby pet. They're talking about a murdered animal. Right? When John the Baptist sees Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we hear that, we think, Lamb of God, victorious, great, pure, magnificent, whatever words we want to say. When John said it, it was a death sentence. He may may as well have been in the prison saying, dead man walking as someone's going to the gas chamber, right? Like when he looks at him and says, the Lamb of God, everybody in the crowd that looked at Jesus, they didn't see a fuzzy little cute lamb. They looked at him and said, that dude's going to die. If you're the Lamb of God, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Where does that come from? It comes from Exodus chapter 12. So in Exodus chapter 12, the... Israelites have been um, slaves for 400 years. They've been slaves to Egypt for 400 years, and now God is going to rescue them and bring them out of slavery. And he's using Moses to do this. He's using Moses as his spokesperson to get them out. And so um, if you've read your Bible or if you've been a you know, when you're a little kid, you read this, the 10 plagues. And, and the Bible talks about the 10 plagues. And there was locusts and the water turned to blood and there were flies and all kinds of weird boils on their skin. 10 plagues that God was using to try to shake up e- Egypt to let Israel go. And so we get down to the 10th plague because Pharaoh has said no every single time. 
Pharaoh's like, I don't care about the plagues. I don't care about your God. I'm not losing my slaves. And so at the very end, God says there's one final plague. There's one final plague. And the final plague is this. If they're not going to listen to me, if they're not going to obey me, if they're not going to let my people go, then I'm going to wipe out all their firstborn sons. Every firstborn is going to die in this, in this country. But God helps Israel, and he says this, Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or goat for, for a sacrifice, one animal for each house. Verse 6, Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the fourteenth day of, its first, of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. Don't leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before. Verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this animal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's... Passover. Get it? Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal. God's like any firstborn. Like even the firstborn donkey. It's all, they're all going down. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. I want to point out a couple of things in that passage real quick and then we're going to end the message. When John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Isaiah looks into the future and says he's going to be a lamb led to the slaughter. They're talking about this Passover lamb. And what does the Passover lamb do? The Passover lamb is sacrificed, is killed. Why? So that God will pass over anybody he sees the blood, judgment won't come to. When he sees the blood on the doorpost, right? Then he won't... Go to that house. Think about it for a second. Jesus said, I knock at the door. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I'm looking for a doorway. There's blood on the door. These are the people that I will accept. And anybody without the blood, they get the curse. So a couple things I want you to notice real quick. Number one, in that passage, it said, take the animal into your house. And I'm wanting to say, if I go back, I think it was like four or five days that they had the animal in their house. Now, anybody that has kids, you're going to know exactly what I'm about to say right here. But if you bring, Anna, if you were to bring a fuzzy little lamb into your home, would it take four days for Vivian to name that lamb? No, it would take about four seconds. Like as soon as Vivian saw the lamb, she'd be like, oh, his name is Snowball. You know, and I'm going to love him and I'm going to squeeze him and I'm going to hold him. Right? Anybody with kids, you know this is the truth. We have an old mutt dog at our house. And I can't keep my kids from laying on top of it and kissing it in the mouth. It's gross. It's nasty. I got weird kids. But if I were to bring a cute little baby lamb, right? What would happen? My kids would fall in love with it. My wife would fall in love with it. I would be the one that would have to butcher it. 
But I would fall in love with it. I'm going to tell you, I've got a soft spot for animals sometimes. They taste real good. But here's the thing. Jesus has to mean something to you. Why did God make him bring him into the house for four days? Because he wanted that animal to mean something. He wanted that sacrifice to mean something. There's a verse, there's a verse that I don't have in my notes, Kim, I'm sorry. But um, there's a verse that I just, I just was thinking about. And here's what it says. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, it says, Just think how much more worse, how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. The writer of Hebrews is saying here, he's saying, listen, we got a problem. If you start trampling on or treating the blood... As though it's common. We bring the lamb into our house and have a relationship with that lamb. Because when you have a relationship with something, now all of a sudden, it means something to you. It means something to you. It's special to you. His blood has to mean something to you. When his blood means something to me, it hurts when I sin. Listen. If his blood doesn't mean anything to me, then sin doesn't bother me. I can live a lifestyle of sin and it doesn't matter to me. I can do what I want and it doesn't matter to me. I can call myself a Christian and it doesn't really matter. I'm only a Christian because I go to church. I'm only a Christian because I need a label. But at the end of the day, whenever I'm covered by his blood, when the blood means something, when that blood, when I have a relationship with that lamb and his blood is valuable to me, now all of a sudden it hurts when I have to butcher that animal. It hurts whenever we have to kill the animal, right? It means something to me. The other thing it says is it says, eat all of it or burn it, but there's no leftovers. When I read that, I thought, I wonder if that's significant. And here's a thought that hit me. We can't cherry pick which parts of God, which parts of the Bible, which parts of Jesus that we want and leave the rest of them for later. He said, there's no leftovers. There's no doggy bags. Like when you get done eating, eat every bit of it. But whatever you can't finish, bones, fur, whatever parts you don't eat, you must burn them. Don't carry anything into tomorrow. And you know what we do sometimes in church is sometimes we say, God, I hear what you're saying. Jesus, I hear what you're saying. I read the word of God, but there's just certain parts of God's word that I just don't want. Or I'm going to save that until tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll make a change. Maybe tomorrow I'll do something different. And he says, you either consume all of it or none of it. We don't get by cherry picking God's word. We don't get by just going halvesies with God. We can't just say, I'm a half Christian. I'm half serving God. That person doesn't get to heaven. Here's the other thing he said that I thought was neat. He said, when you eat, eat with your shoes on. Eat with your staff in your hand. Eat with your clothes on. Pack your bags. Be ready to go before you start eating that, that meat. Why? Because when they ate the Passover, the next step was to leave Egypt. Their next step was to get to the promised land. For you and I, what happens is when we accept Christ, listen, when we accept Christ, we need to be ready to leave Egypt. We need to be ready to leave our old lifestyle. 
We need to be ready to say, you know what, God, when I commit to you, I'm committing to you. When I give you my life, I'm giving you every part of my life. I'm tired of Egypt. I'm tired of living in sin. I'm tired of living my own way. I'm tired of, of walking through these issues that I'm always walking through. When I, when I consume Christ, when I, take, when I take him in, here's what I'm doing. I'm ready to walk out of Egypt. But what we do sometimes is we come to Christ and we're not ready to walk out of Egypt. I want to serve God. I want to raise my hand. I want to pray the prayer. I want to do the things, shake the pastor's hand, join the church, do whatever it is I want to do, just so long as I get to keep some of the favorite things that I had in Egypt. Can I just stay in Egypt a little bit longer? Can I stay in my old lifestyle a little bit longer? And God says, when you accept me, you come ready to leave, ready to walk out the door. And then, like I said at the beginning, the blood served as a sign or a seal that punishment passes over us. I love that. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And when it was, it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You know, if you ever wondered why, remember the story where, uh, where Jesus goes to the temple and the Bible says he like braided a whip and turned over the the tables and and started whipping the the animals and some of the people right getting them out of the getting out of the God's house getting them out of the temple y'all remember that story and everybody's like man Jesus just had like an episode like what happened what was wrong with him Jesus is mean but here's the thing here's what we don't tell you when we read that story what we don't tell you is Jesus has just He's just like a week away from being the sacrifice for our sins. He's a week away from dying for our sins. So whenever he goes into the temple and he sees what's happening, and here's what's happening. Here's what happened. People are going to the temple and they're not bringing a lamb for sacrifice that they have a relationship with. As a matter of fact, most of them showed up at temple that day and forgot all about the sacrifice. And they get there, and they're like, oh, snap, we got to get a sacrifice together. What can we do? And they look over, and these people have started profiting by bringing some old, ratchet, messed up lambs, right? They're bringing some lambs that are supposed to be without spot or blemish, but this lamb's got a couple of black spots on it, or a couple of brown spots on it, and they just take some like white shoe polish and rub it on the lamb, and they're selling you the lamb. They're bringing in a lamb, and this lamb's got that old crooked foot that nobody wanted anyway, and you show up to temple... And you don't have any, um, any sacrifice because you totally forgot because it didn't mean anything to you. And you're like, you know what? I got some gold. I got some silver. I got some money in my pocket. Let me just buy this old broken down lamb and I'll sacrifice this to God. It'll be good enough. And Jesus walks into the temple knowing he is the lamb, knowing he's the Passover, knowing he's the one that's going to give up his life for every one of us. And he says, we don't have time for you to profit off some crippled lambs. He says, don't be coming up in here with no sacrifice. Don't come in here not ready to worship. When you show up to this house, you show up with your sacrifice. Why? Because I am the sacrifice. I don't need to be treated like I'm a nothing. I don't need to be treated like I'm a nobody. I don't need to be treated like you can just buy your way in. You can't buy your way into heaven. It's only through me. I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb. That's why he went nuts on those folks. He went nuts because they're trying to buy their way into heaven. 
He went nuts on the, on the other people, the, the sellers, because they're trying to make a profit off of other people's religion and lack of relationship. That's why he went crazy. I would too. Because every lamb that was sacrificed represented Jesus. And when people start giving an artificial sacrifice, he's saying, this doesn't represent me. That's not who I am. And yet we give God these same kind of sacrifices sometimes. We show up to church with this fake Christianity sometimes. That's not who he is. That's not what he wants. I need to be quiet. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read part of verse 6. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. So this is John, not John the Baptist. John the disciple of Christ. This is the same disciple that was there when John the Baptist said, Look, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John that was sitting at the foot of the cross when Jesus is hanging there bleeding and bloody and mutilated. It's the same one that's sitting there looking up at him. So this John knows Jesus. He knows what Jesus is all about. He understands what the lamb is supposed to look like. In verse 6 it says, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but now it was standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. So John says, I looked up in my vision and I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. In other words, he sees a lamb bloody and messed up. Not pure and white and fuzzy. He sees a lamb that has been brutally killed. But here's what the cool thing about this lamb. It's not about the the cute lamb that's important. It's the bloody lamb that's important. And it says in verse 9, And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you are slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's all of us. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Why was he slaughtered? Why did he die? He died because sin requires death. We said that earlier. Something's got to die. Guess who's supposed to die? I'm supposed to die. You're supposed to die. But what did he do? He said, I'm going to establish a new covenant between God and man. And that covenant is only through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. He said, I'll be the substitute for you. You're supposed to die, but I'll step in. You're like Isaac, I'm like the ram. I'll jump into your place. I'll put myself on the altar for you. He was the Passover because of his blood. Being covered by the blood means that our doorpost, the heart, is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when the enemy comes in, the Bible says like a flood, what's going to happen? He's got no place in our life. When God brings judgment, He passes over us. Why? Because we're covered by the blood. And then the cool thing about Revelation chapter 5 is it says He's ransomed us by His blood and He's caused us to be a kingdom of priests. Can I tell you something today? You're not not who your job says you are. Your job is just a place where you can be a priest. Right? Right? You're not who your family says you are. 
Some of you grew up with a dad or a mom or, or, or family members that called you all kinds of things, that said that you were certain kinds of ways. You're not who they say you are. You're a kingdom of priests. I love that. I love that. You're special today. You're important today. Why? Because of his blood. Because of his blood. Why don't we close our eyes this morning and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts as we, as we get ready to go and just, just in your own way begin to ask Him, God, what is it you're trying to tell me through this message today? What are the aspects of your death that I need to take to heart? Maybe having just a different understanding of His blood and why it was shed is important to you today. Maybe today you need to see that He's a substitute because you're so insecure about your sin. You think... You're always wrong and you're always going to die and you're always bad and you're always guilty and you're always shamed. You need to know something today. When we accept His sacrifice, when we accept His blood, it covers our shame. It covers our guilt. Maybe for you it's that daily sacrifice. It's every day. You've lived your life with this one-time experience, but today you're realizing, hey, this is an everyday thing. I've got to give Him my life. I've got to to give Him everything that I am. I've got to be faithful, not just have faith. Whatever the case is, if you're sitting out there today, if you're standing up with me today, and you say, Gabriel, I need, I need Him. Like, I need that relationship. I need that blood. I need that covering. I, I need that sacrifice. I need that covenant. If that's you this morning, I just want you to slip your hands up. You can put it back down. I just need, who needs that prayer today? Yeah, awesome, awesome. God, right now, I just pray for everybody in this room. And first of all, God, we just ask you to forgive us of our sins. We thank you for your blood that covers every one of our sins. And just like we talked about last week, God, some of us deal with, with transgressions, but some of us deal with iniquities, and we need freedom from that. And we thank you today that it's by your blood that we can be set free. It's by your sacrifice that we can be set free today. That the punishment of our sins was laid on you, that you bore our sins, you became a substitute for us. And so, God, we thank you for that this morning. And we receive that today. We receive that today. We walk in that today. God, we ask today that you would be our Savior and you would be our Lord. We ask today that, that, that you would not just forgive us, but, God, that you would lead us and guide us every step of the way. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill our hearts and fill our lives. Let the blood of Christ not only be a signal for the Passover, but let it be a, let it be a place that, that draws you in to us. That when you look at us, you see Jesus. So God, we ask that you administer to our hearts today. Cover us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.